podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast special edition. I am Lee Calvert, and for this one, there's no Josh with me this week as I'll be doing the first of our interviews with a semi, semi-regular semi podcast and all-round top fella, Mr. Mike Bubbins. Hello, Mike. Hello, Will. Hello, Lee. How are you, mate? Not too bad, mate. Now, currently you're a stand-up and, you know, TV star, aren't you? I'm on the verge of being a TV star. I think of myself as an embryonic TV star, stand-up comic, writer, uh, radio personality, and all-round good egg, yeah. Yeah. But we're actually here to talk about your rugby career. I'm sure some of that stuff will come into it, to be honest. But uh, uh, we're talk- here to talk about your rugby career because you are quite a long career and an interesting career, I think. We'll soon find out, won't we? Um, yeah. So going back to the beginning then, let's do, right. some, let's do some basics. Where are you from and when and where did you start playing rugby? Right, I'm from Barry in South Wales. So I would have started playing rugby in what we would then have called in the 80s Standard 3. We'd call that Year 6 now. No, Year 5 in, in schools these days. So, yeah, I started as a, as a young kid playing. Um, my very earliest memory of rugby was in a place called Romilly Park there, I think, called the Firework Fiesta. I was playing my first game at Gladstone Junior School. We played St. Barracks Junior School, which was the Welsh team, and I was the year below, obviously. And I just remember going to tackle this big kid under floodlights, and he just handed me off in the face. These were the days when there was no sort of pathway in junior rugby. It was just, you know, it was just smaller people playing with a full ball. <laughs> He just handed me off in the face, and I went flying and landed on my ass. And thought, that can't be, that can't be, that must be illegal, surely. Right? And you thought, this is the game for me. I thought, this is the game for me, <laughs> And I was in no looking back, really. But I was, I was football, first of all. And then, well, man, I'd been a big bit of a um, captain of the local club for a few years and was a bit of a, a well known figure of the rugby club. I think they always sort of assume I'd go into rugby. But I just loved football for, for as a very young kid. And then, uh, yeah, as, as I sort of realised I was pretty shit at football and quite good at rugby. I just played more rugby and less football. Now, I I love... My dad was a very good footballer and I inherited absolutely nothing of his talent whatsoever. Mm. Uh, so, But I always liked playing football and couldn't play it. And I love playing... I grew up in rugby league time. I love playing rugby. Worked out quite early. Even though I liked it, I wasn't very good at it. I was never likely to be any good at it, but kept going. Um, did you know fairly... When did you know you were decent at it? Because you had a fairly decent career, didn't you? So when, when did you know you were thinking, I'm better than everyone around me or as good as, yeah. as the people who are good and all that stuff? No, you're right the first time. Better, better than the people around me. Um... <laughs> Well, first sort of as a kid, a young young kid, I got sort of second year playing rugby. I got picked for the county and that sort of. I got the, the under 11s and then when I went to sort of secondary school, then you know you're playing, you're playing for your school first team and all that sort of thing. And then right through school up to the end of the, you know, the under 18 or the 19 thing, I always played, always played uh, district rugby and county rugby, 
And then when we got to sort of 16, 15, they started picking East Wales and the West Wales, and I was always an East Wales team. And was that always uh, as a back rower? Because you ended up as a back rower, didn't you? Did you was it we set on that fairly early? Or? Yeah, I was I was a flanker from like and, and you know, like I said, it was it was there was no sort of uh, it wasn't stagger the way it is now. So in first year comp, I think I'm pretty sure we played 15 aside in first year comp. So I I, I like played flanker then because my my old man had played on the front row. And so I said, don't go on the front row. <laughs> so that's so when I first started playing rugby. I was second row. In junior school, there were no flankers. I was, I was second row then. Um, and then, unlike most second rows, who tell you they're, they're, they're actually a second row or a number eight. One of, they mean I'm definitely just a second row, right? <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was keen to get out, out, out. I didn't want to play in the back, so I quite like being in the forwards. So I played played flanker all my life. But I was, I was lucky. I was always probably the quickest player on the team. But I like, you know, I like the physical side of it as well, so it was nice. So that just that suited me quite nicely. You mentioned that about playing districts. I remember from what I've been told back then in Wales, they, they manage. You talk about player workload. Mm. I, I've, I've had, I had friends who had kids who were playing districts even as late as sort of ten, fifteen years ago. And the idea about player welfare was almost like it was a joke at that level because you were playing. You had play. You had. You had I had my mate's lad was playing school club. Yeah, uh, district and county, yeah. and was training yeah. pretty much every week for all of them. Well, we were training, and he was a hooker. It was like you're going to get your body's going to be absolutely fucked by the time you're yeah. 19 years old. Oh, I'm, sham- I'm, I'm a shambles now, but I mean, yeah, I played, um, yeah, every night of the week really. So it was the school first team, then there was the, like you said, the district team and the county team. Then anybody who sort of Welsh uh, squad stuff got away with those. But then on a Saturday morning, we had school fixtures. And then on a Saturday afternoon, I would play youth uh, a couple of years younger. Um, so I was like two years younger playing for the youth. I played school first team, so I was sort of under 19s, but I was still in year 10, so I was like 15 then. All right. And you forwards play- as well, fair play. <laughs> yeah, so you're playing against sort of adults on a Saturday morning. Then I'd play, I would play um, for my local youth team on a, youth on a Saturday afternoon after the school game, you know, straight from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And then on a Sunday, I was still young enough to play sort of under-17s. So I, I would play three games on a Saturday. Now, two games on a Saturday, one game on a Sunday, usually like a midweek game now and again, and then training like two or three nights a week. Did you get fed up with it? I never did, Lee, to be honest. I, just, I loved it. I, I, would have played, I would have played all day, every day if I could. I just, I didn't like training. I did, I trained because I had to. That was part of the game. I, you know, I sort of had to knuckle down. and I, I loved the lifting weights and the sprints and stuff, but I hated all the cardio, all the cardio stuff. But I did expect yeah. to. But if I could have played rugby every day of the week, I would have done it, you know, I loved it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, you played a lot of stuff in district stuff. When did you leave school then? And did was did you go into uh, semi-professional rugby straight from school or were you working and still playing? Well, I left school at sort of, I left school in 1990, so the game was still amateur then. And I was playing at the time at Cardiff Youth and we'd won everything at, at that point, you know, we'd won we had an unbeaten season and, and, and won everything we could win in Wales and played on the, on the national stadium and all that sort of thing. It was nice. But I went from Cardiff Youth, uh, left school, uh, did a part-time job. So I, I, I got kicked out of sixth form a lot and eventually... <laughs> Anything you can share with us or is this... Well, I just, I, I had a, and it was, it, was, it was a problem in my rugby career, really, was that I just had a really, really short fuse. And... Uh, I remember going with the Welsh schools. We, we were up in Chepstow at the army base there. 
we're going to go to New Zealand with, with like the under-18, eight, under under-19 team. I think, I think I might have told you this. this. This would have been like Wayne Proctor and Scott Quinnell, that, that, that age group. Oh, you not told us this one. No, go on. And um, my PE teacher, Gokal Scott, Mal Scott, had been my dad's scrum up and my dad had shook us. They'd known each other for sort of 30, 40 years, you know. Um, and he knew I was a hothead, Mal, because I used to get sent off, you know, three or four times a season before I used to get big bands, you know. Was that for fists mostly or gobbing off? Yeah, or... just being a dick. Both. Fighting <laughs> <laughs> and then gobbing off. And then, yeah, I remember the one time that, he, one time I got sent off and off he got, I was like 17. Um, I told him to fuck off about about 40 times on, on the field. <laughs> But, but then I found out later that his name was Offy. His nickname was Offy because when he was a scrum up, he told everyone to fuck off all the time. <laughs> so, I yeah, and my dad was trying to calm me down. It wasn't working. And then um, on the Monday, I was so embarrassed. I went to school, I went to go and see him. I said, listen, Mr. Scott, I'm awfully sorry about Saturday. You know, I was out of order. I should, you've been good to me. I shouldn't have sworn you like that. That was out of order. He said, that's right, Mike. You know, you take some man to apologise. He said, I'm just letting you know that I have been in touch with the county. And I'm, I've asked them if they, you know, we're going to suspend you for a month so you learn your lesson, you know. I said, we, you can't do that. It was a school game. He said, well, I can. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a county setup. And I said, fuck you. <laughs> and, then, and then I told him to fuck off about another 30 or 40 times. And then, so anyway, so when I was 18, though, so I'm in that Welsh school school. We're going to go to New Zealand. It's all good. I've played all the trial games. It's all gone really well. We had a couple of days in the National Stadium, doing the sprints and the weights and stuff. That was all good. Up to Chepstow. I remember my dad saying to me, um, you know, for Christ's sake, you know, keep a cool head now for these. And you'll be on the plane to New Zealand in a couple of weeks. I said, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And uh, um, <laughs> we get to Chepstow. And it was, I'd done everything. It was, it was the Sunday night. It was the last day. We'd been there for like four or five days for the whole camp. And we had a game of touch rugby. Last thing on the Sunday. And there was a flanker. From uh, from West Wales, who, who uh, I didn't like very much. Sidestepping me in this game of just a mess around game of touch to finish the weekend, mm. and, and sort of beckoned over his shoulder after he went past me. Kill man, catch me up. So I chased after him. I was quicker than him anyway. But I remember I remember kicking him before I knew what I was doing. I kicked him, and he sort of went flying. And then before he could get up, I I, I just started hitting him in the back of the head like a fucking lunatic. And they pulled me off the pitch. And I was almost in tears. I was so frustrated with myself. And they uh, had to get Offy Scott to drive from Barry to Chepstow, which is about a 45-minute drive, to come and collect me like two hours before the end of the camp. They wouldn't let me stay till the end of the camp. They were so appalled at my behaviour. And they picked me up, and uh, he said, wait there. And he went and chat to the selectors to see if he could try and salvage anything. That wasn't going to happen. So when I got back in his car, and obviously, he's good mates with my dad. I remember him getting in the car. And I'd never heard him swear at me before. He's a teacher, wasn't he? Mm. And as I sat there, he just went to me, uh, well, you fucked that up. <laughs> it's not very funny, but yeah, I could see. I said, oh, yeah, sorry, sir. And he said, well, you can tell your dad. So he just, I just sat in silence, knocked the door. I could see my dad's face, wondering why it was two hours early. And, and off he got just saying to my dad, Bob, you know, talk to your son, mate. His hair's gone. And that was it. And I started trying to fuck that up. They went to New Zealand, that team, and they were the only Welsh schools team to go to New Zealand and win all the test matches. You know, they, that was like the most would successful. You, would you have started in that team? Yeah, I'd like to think I would have. You know, you don't know. But, I mean, all the, all the sort of pointers were there, yeah. Um, yeah, but but it's all ifs and buts, Rob, you know. Yeah. I, I would have if I hadn't been an absolute knob. So, you know. 
So, you can't, you can't really divorce the two. Can people say, say, what would you have done if this or that? I said, well, it's like saying, you know, what would have happened if I, if I had an extra leg? The point was, I was a, I was a short fused dick. So, uh, I don't want to get, I don't want to turn it into a psychology hour. But was, was, was your whole life like that? Were you like that in the playground and when you were out in the pub? Did you, did you have a short fuse? No, it never. Or was, just, never was it, was it just it was, a rugby it, thing? Oh, yeah, it was. It was. It was almost. Oh, I loved rugby. That was the thing. I loved playing it. But um, yeah, I wasn't a scrapper after a few drinks. I wasn't a fighter in town. We'd have, a, you know, I was more of a singer than anything else. <laughs> I had a really happy home life. My mum and dad were happily married, and my, my sister was happy, and I was happy, and it was all good. And I would get on the fucking pitch and be like a lunatic. I don't. Yeah, it was. It was weird. Mm. It took a long time to calm down from that. I mean, I, I got. Did sent you come off. from like a club that was considered more inferior or something? Did you feel you had to demonstrate there was something? Yeah, I never thought of that. I mean, when I was when I was at Barry Youth, we used to get beaten every week. I mean, hammered. I remember I remember going down to Flashley and getting beaten like seventy three nil, and being fucking livid because <laughs> yeah, because I was trying. You know, I'd be putting sort of thirty forty tackles in, and we'd be losing. But I remember the selector saying to me the year after when I was eighteen that even though I'd been at Cardiff Youth and we'd won everything. He said, you didn't really catch our eye this year because you're in such a successful team. He said, it was last year. He said, when you were playing for Barry, getting dicked every week. Oh, you know, you were standing out then, which is like, you didn't know that. I didn't know where the scouts were and the selectors were at the time, but I mean, yeah, maybe that's part of it. I just get really frustrated. I, I, I'm probably one of the few people in in Wales that's been banned for hitting his own player. I remember I, I got I got a six-week ban for knee and our hooker once because he, he just kept hooking the ball to them in a tight game. I said, what the fuck are you doing? He said, sorry, sorry, Mike, sorry. I said, fucking, I said, do that again, I want to fucking smack you. And the next scrum, he, he kicked the ball to them. Pretty and much. I hit him, and the referee, set, the referee set me off for hitting him. And he was pleading with the referee, saying, please don't send him off, referee. Like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a weird one. Okay. Just a knob. Oh, yeah. He's probably shaking so yeah. much at that last that last hook that it's no What's surprise. It was weird, like, because I met Kelly, I met my wife at the end of my rugby career, really. And uh, I remember when I first started doing stand-up, she'd heard these stories from all my rugby mates and whatever. And my wedding was mostly, you know, rugby friends. And and, mm. and when I first started doing stand-up, as I was going out the door to a gig, you know, she would always say to me, Mike, don't hit anybody. If <laughs> anybody <laughs> heckles you, don't wade into so, the crowd. Exactly. I say there's a comedy gig, like, you know, you don't hit people. So, yeah. This is not Vietnam. There are rules, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not really. So, yeah. so you missed out on that at eighteen. I was eighteen. Was it going going to New Zealand with that team with some quite big players? Yeah. You're saying Quinnell and Proctor and so on and so forth. That was a great team. Yeah. So, so I went. I stayed at Cardiff. Played for Cardiff Youth. Um, and then they had an under twenty one. I, I got. I left Cardiff in a storm as well. It was funny. And it was. It was again. It was my 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 minute fuse. I remember we were. It was it was nuts at the time. Before before we went professional, Cardiff was like this beer moth. It was huge, biggest club in the world. Everyone wanted to play there. So the number of I mean there must have been a hundred blokes in the senior squad. It was it was ridiculous, you know. And there was the Cardiff first team and the Cardiff ranks. I think the second team. And I remember being this nineteen year old kid just wanted to play, and being promised various things. So I stayed there. And then I remember one game. I remember sat on the bench for the second team, waiting to get on the field. And I wanted to play against Graham Price because they were playing against Pontypool United. And Graham Price was at the end of his career. But I really wanted to play against one of my heroes, right? So I wanted to be on the field. And they didn't put me on. But then the bloke next to me they also didn't bring on was Richie Collins, who was at the time playing flanker for Wales, right? Mm. I thought, well, 
But in my mind, I thought, well, I'm, I deserve a shout above him. I, you know, that's the way that my mind worked in those days. I remember having this big... And John Scott, the old England player, was, was the Cardiff coach at the time. And we had a big team meeting. And I said, John, when am I going to play first team? When am I going to need to put me in? And he, saw that he said, there are internationals on the bench for the seconds. I said, I don't give a fuck about that. <laughs> and then I remember having a huge ding-dong with John Scott then. And then I just left the club because I, I, I did an Offy Scott on John Scott. <laughs> did, did, did people like you then? Because you're a very likeable bloke now, right? Quite clearly. You yeah. Know, did, did, were you one of those, you know, everyone's got a mate and you're just like, well, I can't drop him because he's been made, but he does my fucking head in. Do you know what I mean? Were you, were you kind of a bit like that or was it something? I think off the field, I was never like that. I got all, all my, like I said, all my best mates were, were off, off them, like, you know, my team and the opposition team. And I, I'd always be the first one with the sing songs and the boat races and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. But it was real. I mean, yeah, I was a real fucking angry bloke for about 10 years. Very, very angry. I don't really know why. Um, yeah, I, I fucked off to Canada and played over there. I, I had a chance to go over there to play. To How old were you then? First time in Canada, I'd have been about 20, 21. Mm. Went over there because I had a chance to play over there. It was still all amateur. And uh, just, I was quite happy. Just, I was playing rugby. They have a summer season in Toronto, so I'd go over there and play sort of end of April to sort of October. Then I would come back here and just play, pick up rugby wherever I could, have a game somewhere. You know what was what was the standard like in the early nineties in Canada and the Toronto divisions? Poor. I played for a team Toronto Welsh. Well, I think it'd been a decent team in the seventies, but they'd lost a lot of players and and um, yeah, they weren't very good, which didn't do much for my short temper. <laughs> <laughs> How many of them did you punch for not doing things oh, right? So yeah, it was it was it was point. So yeah, I did you end I'm up trying... back at Cardiff then, or did you? Well, this that. is the thing. I came back. But they started running an under twenty ones, which would have been the precursor, I suppose, of like a, like a like a Colts or an A team now. Hmm. And they phoned me up. I'm under twenty threes, maybe. I can't remember what it was now. But I got a phone call saying, "Can you come back because um, play for this Cardiff twenty ones team?" I said, "Okay." So my my first game back, we played uh, we played Buenos Aires, like the touring team, on the Arms Park. And I was flanker. My dad was there. Floodlight game. And first lineup, I can see it now. I came off the back of this lineup to the fly half, and he jinked inside me and kicked into touch. And I sort of did a U turn, and as I was jogging back to get to my side of the field, he spat in my face. This dude. Fuck. <laughs> just... It was. It was like. It was like a violent Benny Hill sketch. I was just. I was just <laughs> this prick all over the field, with my dad. I can hear my dad screaming from the stands, going, "Leave it! Leave it! For fuck! Leave it, Mike! Leave it!" To be thinking, it's the thing is though, man, I, I, I've got your back a bit there because of all the things that you can not, you know, you can say I shouldn't have reacted to that in a rugby field, being spat at directly in the face for oh, no reason. I would never. I, I don't think there's any player who played the game who was a short fuse guy or not who wouldn't have gone fucking ape shit at that. Yeah, probably. But I mean, yeah, you are right. So, but that didn't. That, they only had a few of those games. I went back to Canada. Um, I remember I had a girlfriend. This is years ago. We just said, so what are you doing with your life? You seem like a nice bloke. What, you know, what, are, you, what are you bumming around for, living on sofas and getting sent off in rugby games all the time? <laughs> I keep smacking people. I can't help <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and she was going to say, why don't you go back to university? I said, I'm too old for the university. I'm, you know, I've missed it. I'm 22, whatever. It's amazing so, how your 22-year-old brain works. When you look back it, now, it, isn't it? It's mad as the... I didn't I, go, I didn't go travelling after uni because I thought, well, I'll come back in two years and be nothing for me, you know. 
I want to have a job. It was, and I look back now and I think, what a fucking idiot. Why did I just go? You know? Well, one thing, yeah. One thing that stuck with me, like I didn't start doing comedy when I was 37, but, is you always think you're too old for stuff. And then 10 years later, you think, fuck, why didn't I do that then? Mm. You know, so at 22, thankfully, I, you know, I, I, I took her advice. Like, I applied to college, uni. And I went to what is now Cardiff Met, which was then, um, it was called UIC in Cardiff which before the game was professional was basically like an academy. So it was it was a way to get a PE degree and make a living out of sport and play rugby, you know, without being professional. So I was there. Uh, Ian Evans' sister was my interviewer. It was funny because I had no idea that was. I, so I fucked up on a, on a sixth form. Non Evans. She's not with us anymore, God bless her. But she interviewed me and she all she said was, we, you know, would you play rugby for, for the uni? I said, yeah, of course, yeah. She said, well, if you'll sign the forms, we'll give you a place. Without any without any A levels, so I said, "Oh, great!" So I signed the forms, played, um, yeah, told, yeah, <laughs> told the selectors Eric to fuck off. That Uick team is pretty strong, though, wasn't it? That was the Uick period. Was it Nathan Budget and well, it was Gareth Lewis and he's a good mate of mine and Gary did. So I mean, that team, the first team was quite clicky at uni. So I thought, well, I'm not going to let them piss me off. I'll just play second team for the first year. I'll bite my time. But our second team was uh, like Nathan Budget, Gary Lewis. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who else was there. We had, we had a few, Ben Evans. We were then prop for Wales. Prop, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had sort of four or five full internationals in that team. Um, so we won the first team. First team won the, won the British University. Second team won the British Universities. It, it was nice. But, um, yeah, then I got a... Uh, I, I, mean, I love playing it. I love playing it. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. I fell out with a lot of people coaching the rugby and running the rugby there. In my inimitable fashion. <laughs> well, it was again. I just. I had this tremendous sense of injustice. I, I felt like a young David Banner. You know. I was, just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was that? Yeah. The, was, so why did you? So why did you think that they? You know, they weren't good enough to coach. The game plan was wrong, or was it simply that they just weren't selecting you? Was it? What, when you look back, what was it? I think I think there was always a bit of because I was a Barry boy and this sort of followed me through. You know, the listeners were well, au fait with Barry. Barry's quite a rough, blue collar industrial place. Like I, I can't think of anything. And, and, and it's seen as sort of like the runt cousin of Cardiff as well. Yeah, it's very much sort of uh, yeah, very much put, a put upon place. You know, and I was I was always the only Barry person in any sort of representative team. You know, so when I got to uni, it was all a lot of. Uh, a lot of Welsh-speaking um, West Whalian types, and then there were some fairly well-to-do Cardiff types. And I was just this Barry Oik who used to go around, you know, swearing at people and punching them and stuff. Yeah, but then I thought, but I thought, I thought I should play. So obviously, I was my. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember they finally gave me a chance. I remember I'd been biding my time for the first year, and then in the second year they finally. Uh, I trained, never missed a training session. Trained hard, played hard when I played, and then I, uh, I can, I remember we trained on a Tuesday night, and then they put me in the first team for the first time on a Wednesday. I scored three tries on the Wednesday. I trained on the Thursday, and they dropped me for the Saturday. So I said, like, and the head coach was there. I said, well, I said what, how am I dropped? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I tried, I've never missed a training session. I played all last year for the second. You give me a chance for the first team, I score three tries, and you drop me for the Saturday. He said, "Oh, it's just our selection policy." I said, "Why don't you go and fuck yourself?" 
<laughs> Did he explain what his election policy was out of interest? I was too busy to fuck off for this five years ago. <laughs> and then I made up my day. I'm not interested in details, just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I just stormed off and then I'm a mate. He's, he's now a friend. Dave Cobner was the second team sort of coach. A lovely fellow from Cornwall. Loves his rugby. I just remember coming after me and putting his arm on my shoulder. saying, might come back. I said, no, fuck him, Dave. So I play second team. And I, I yeah, I just, I, I never went back to that sort of, um, to the first team again. I just sort of kept the low profile, did my own thing. Played a bit of rugby league. And then when I finished, went down to Uick. Went, well, Uick, I went down. I, I applied for my teacher training at Uick. They, they could not wait for the chance to tell me to go and fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I went down to St. Luke's in Exeter. So you finished teacher training down there? Yeah, well, Gary Lewis, was, was Gary John, I should say, was a, was a friend. and he, he taught me when I was at Barry Boys and sort of, I think he understood what I was actually like. And uh, a guy called Ian Bremner was coaching. had gone from London Irish to Exeter to coach. And he got after a strength coach. So uh, Gary phoned me up. So why do you go down if you... If you know, if you're going to go to St. Luke's, when you go down to Exeter, you know, I'll have a word of the inn, we'll get you a job down there. So I ended up being the strength coach of the Chiefs, and it was nice so to give me a nice. What year is this then now? Because you... this would have been the year they went from Exeter to the Chiefs, so this would have been 98, 99. So late 90s, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I played a bit of rugby down there, but I, I taught, I was doing a teacher training, so we a lot of Saturdays, we had fixtures and that. But so I played a bit of rugby down there, played some local rugby, almost on my. Uh, teacher training. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, St. Luke's was a good time. And I, I enjoyed working with them. Um, it was weird. Like when I watched like Rob Baxter and, and Ricky Pello and those boys on the TV. Like when I when I was coaching then, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, I, my claim to fame is I've almost had Rob Baxter in tears doing squats. <laughs> he was, it was a great. I mean, him and his brother Rich were both big, you know, strong, naturally strong lads, and that was just a nice. It was a really nice club down there. I really, I mean, I watch this. That's the team I follow now in the Premiership. Is, is the Chiefs? I get you just, get the impression they are still a nice club, actually. Yeah, they're very if you very. Just honest. rethink the branding thing; it'd be all so much easier. But it's the but, but leaving that aside, they do. It's what you'd want a successful club to be, isn't it? Somebody that yeah, they've always had a good youth program. I went, I went on the pre-season tour with them down to Cornwall. Um, they've always had a good. They bring the young lads up from Cornwall and and uh, always operating the black. They've never been in debt, you know, mm. since day one. So I really enjoyed it down there. They gave me a car and a contract and looked after me. And, um, yeah, it was good. I, that what was what nice qualified year. you as a the strength and conditioning coach then? Was that because you you did some of that in college? Or? Yeah, well, I, did a, I did a sports degree. Right. And, you know, I did a, bit of, did a little bit of, bit of bodybuilding and a, bit of a lot of weight training and stuff. So, um, yeah, I just had an interview down there with, with Bremner and he gave me the job. So there was a girl there called Maria doing the sort of sprint work and the track work and I would do all the stuff in the weight room. It was nice. I mean, for me, it was perfect. So it was quite early days of professionalism, basically. So they were paying for stuff like that by then, were they? It was just about getting into it. Yeah, I mean, this would have been second or third year of professionalism, you know. So, um, and they, but they were part time the Exeter boys then. It was sort of you know two hundred and fifty quid a week Did in a car. Did you play for them at any point or any of the no. team levels? No. Oh, I played second team a few times. Right. When I, when, when teaching allowed, but I, I didn't play first team down there. And then what was yeah? I was I'm trying to think, and then I ended up teaching in Bath for like five years and playing local rugby in Bath. Enjoyed that. What was your club in Bath? It was a club called All Culverhagians because the school was, was Culverhay School, which oh. is no longer there now. But um, we still had Saturday fixtures, so I couldn't say that, you know, every, sort of every, one Saturday and three I couldn't be there. So you could, there was no point going to a big club and trying to, and trying to do that. So I played local rugby, really enjoyed that. I had a, three or four seasons down there playing for them. 
Um, this is why you got your first job as a PE teacher, was it? Yeah, that was the first my first PE job was there in Bath, so I did that for four, so three or four years maybe there, and then uh, yeah, went back to Canada for a bit, and played some more rugby and some more coaching and told some more people to fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, that did, I think we all, all listeners would like to know at what point they're stopping telling people to fuck off. ACAST recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Yeah, I came back. Did that just come with age and experience, the, 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 short, the lengthening of the fuse? Do you know what it is? I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm not the world's most patient bloke now, but I mean... Having kids was 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 the big thing for me. Yeah. Like, like I say to my son, my son loves his rugby, loves his football, loves his rugby. I say, you know, don't don't be like your dad. I mean, he's a, he's a all dads think their kids are super talented, but he he's, he is a talented little sportsman. But I said, the, just the one, promise me the one thing, just don't lose your rank, you know, just because that's you're not helping the team, yeah. you know. It's all right being known as being a bit of a scrapper and being whatever else, but I was a talented bloke, you know. I was, I was I was fast, I was strong, I had a good pair of hands, I had good skills, I read the game well. But if I'm not on the field, you're not doing anyone any favours, you know. So I said to him, you know, you need to try and... And if he gets down about himself after a game, I just pull it, I'm just driving the car, just pull over and say, listen, think about why you're playing, mate. Think about you with your mates, you're outside, it's a nice day, you can smell the grass, you're playing rugby, just think of all that. Think of all that and don't get angry about stuff, because, I mean, that's why I was just... Like I said, I couldn't. For someone who loved rugby so much, I've, I've, I've thought about it myself. I don't know why the, what I was so angry about, but I was, yeah. Listen, and I left teammates just trying to say, for God's sake, Mike, you know, I remember. You must one, have been fucking. Because you must have been fucking infuriating to them. They must have wanted to kill you, but probably couldn't because you punch them. But it's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once, I remember playing a game once and, and I chased a fella over a try line. I, I've never like we, we talk about it on the podcast. I don't like showboating, right? I hate it. I don't like people trying to give it up on on a tenor. I don't like pipe music. I don't like stupid celebrations. I don't like people pretending to sleep after they've got to try. I don't like all that bullshit. Right? <laughs> so I just like to play rugby. I, I think that's part of the game for me is that it's without being chauvinistic. I just like that 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 real physical challenge of it and mm. that, that sort of conflict. And I like the confrontation side of it, but. It, I was never a dick off the field. As soon as, soon as the whistle went, I would shake hands and I'd buy somebody a pint. It was all good. And uh, so we played. I remember, I remember a game and I was chasing a fella from halfway. And he, he got over the line just in front of me. But he wouldn't put the ball down. He was just dicking around with the ball, right? I just thought, put the fucking ball down. And as he, as he put it down, I just clocked him. It was a lovely punch as well, right? 
And the referee sent me off immediately, but I was incensed that he wouldn't send him off for, for showboating. So I stopped the referee. <laughs> Can't you see these are comparable offences, ref? <laughs> exactly. He started it. <laughs> <Right>, so <laughs> I remember my whole team just saying, Bubbins, get the fuck off. Because <laughs> and me there just losing on my to tell all my team to fuck off, like yes. one by one. It was like Eddie Murphy coming to America. <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, yeah. fuck you, and Who's fuck next? you. Who's next? I'm off. <laughs> You can fucking have it and all. Yeah, so um, so you were teaching, you were in Bath, and then so early 2000s, you came back to South Wales, is that right? Yeah, I came back after I did my abortive uh, coaching camp career. I, I sort of entered into a business partnership with, with a mate of mine who's a rugby player who can best be described as a fantasist and alcoholic. <laughs> right. <laughs> who proceeded to drink all our profits for two years, and then uh, so that went tits up. How many times did you have to tell him to fuck off? To get it out of your system. <laughs> <laughs> to, to do my eyes with him. Just... <laughs> so that didn't work out then, basically. You try, What, you were trying to do what a was... kind of coaching days, everyone pays to attend, make a bit of money that way? Yeah, you? we did that. And I, and I said, listen, mate, I was, I was teaching at the time when we started it. It was going to be called First 15 Rugby. And I, and I said, listen, mate, I'll get just as much as I can. So I got, the, I got all the logos done and the, and the track suits done and got the ball sorted. I'm on the phone to people like Rhino and getting things done and getting the flights done. I got the location sorted, um, you know, put the program together, and his job was to go over and just sell it. He, he was, oh, mate, I could sell, sell coal to Newcastle. I said, all right, good. He's going, get some kids on this camp then, mate. And the first year, there were like almost no kids that we lost. We lost a lot of money in the first year. Mm. I was still teaching. I got up there for the six-week holiday. And the next year, rather than me just say, you know, that was a daft idea. Don't, don't go into business with an alcoholic fantasist. I, uh, he said, you know what the problem was last year? I said, I got a pretty good idea what it was, Simon, yeah. He said, yeah, you need to, go, you need to commit more time to, the, to it. I'm going to make it work. He said, you need to quit your job. I said, get over here on Easter, you know. So I did, like a twat. I resigned from, <laughs> I resigned from a full-time teaching job with a nice pension to go to Calgary with him in, like the, in the April. We were there until the October. And we made zero cash. Because <laughs> and and he was like he was such a soft twat that I remember the one kid turned up. Well, we'd given him like t-shirts. I mean, it was costing us for a kid to be there. But the time we'd give him like their lunch and give him a free ball and a t-shirt and all this shit. I mean, it's costing us money. So, um, and he he was letting kids come for free. I said, what what, what do you mean you let them come for free? He's a nice kid, mate. I said, I don't give a shit. I'm nice. He's costing me money. So, so we did that for the second year then. <laughs> load of cash. I remember there was a fella called Dan Kazakov who runs the Calgary Rugby Union Clubhouse. Lovely fella, right? Really nice bloke. And I and he did all the catering for this thing, and we bounced the check on him. I was so I was mortified. <laughs> I I gave him this check in good faith, and he came to see me and said, "Mike, I'm listening. I'm sorry about this, but the check's bounced." I said, "I said, oh no, Dan, it couldn't have bounced, man." I said, "You know, there was there was enough money there to cover that." And then I remember Simon turned up at a party. <laughs> With about 24 cases of beer, right? <laughs> I said, is that Dan's money? He said, what do you mean? I said, mate, I've, I've just bounced a check on Dan. That's why I, I had to get the money together to pay Dan off. It was really nice about it. So, yeah, I, I moved back then, decided that... <laughs> so all things considered, that wasn't a goer, so you came back... <laughs> I, when I came back, I was destitute. Like, I literally didn't have two pens to scratch my ass. I, was, I, was, I found myself at sort of 30, but... Back sleeping on people's couches again. 
So that was nuts. So then I, I got a teaching job in, in Cardiff. And I thought, right, let's play some proper rugby. And I played for the Wanderers. Went to the Wanderers and played. Played the first year. That's Glamorgan just, Wanderers in Cardiff, for anybody listening who doesn't know. But yeah, yeah, just knocked around the first year, uh, playing a bit. And then I thought, I'll do this properly. So that pre that off season after that, I put, I put the yards in and and I'm getting a contract, which is nice. I was teaching full time. They gave me a first team contract. I was thirty. What's, what's the money like? Was they fixed? But is it you know? I can't remember, mate. This would have been about this would have been about fifteen years ago. So I'd have been about 31, 32 at this point, and I was. Um, I think it'd been a couple of hundred quid a game. You know, so it wasn't bad. It, it was. It's a and, fairly decent supplement to your income, though. But that, having said that, they do expect you to train. Well, do, well, let me ask the question: Are you expected to train like a pro for that money? Well, I love training. That I, I always like training. That's the thing. So I was in. I was in really good nick. I mean, um, but yeah, you were expected to train sort of two. Apart from the cardio. I think no, I did it. I just didn't enjoy the cardio. So I'd like do two or three nights a week training, and then we used to we used to get there early on a Saturday, and you, you know you have a game plan and do it all properly. And but it was weird, mate. Like rugby had changed in, in that time from when I played decent rugby over here to going away and. Um, and then coming back and playing good rugby. I remember going to a, we played a team that a friend of mine called Jason Lewis was fly half for, and, and he, and we'd been in the same sort of uh, well school set up at eighteen. I didn't see him for a long time. He was a really good player, Jason. Out to that. And uh, after the game, I was on a point with him at his clubhouse there. And I remember the the coach saying, "Come on, we we're uh, we're going to get on the bus, Mike." I said, "What do you mean? We were literally just out of shower and stuff. It was my first point." And I think the young lads, like the 19, 20-year-old boys in the team, and I was 31, 32, had already had taxis booked from Cardiff into town, you know? So rather yeah, than right. stay and have a night and have a drink and have a sing and have a, and have a laugh, we stayed about an hour, 45 minutes, got on a bus, went back to Cardiff, boys jumped on the, on the, and the into taxis and went off into nightclubs. I thought, oh, this is not me, man. This is That was weird for me to get my head around, you know, that sort of new... That sort of rugby wasn't my sort of rugby. Yeah, I think I think what going to Canada for a lot of that time in, in the interim, very amateur game over there. So and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, people who made their own clubhouse and people who uh, paid subs and people who, you know, to come back to that was a bit of a culture shock. So I played there for a season. Didn't, if I'm honest, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And then I had a really bad injury. I detached my bicep. Um, Ouch. Yeah, that was a killer. Um, and I just did, did your dad treat that, that the same way he treated your broken leg when you were a kid? You'd know if you'd snap your bicep, yeah. you'd be in agony. Yeah, you trot it off. <laughs> do, do a couple of curls. With some peas on your arm. <laughs> I did, I came home that night. I just started seeing, I didn't long to start seeing my wife, my now wife. And it was a swinging arm tackle, as usual, right? Like, I remember I used, to, I used to train religiously. I was lifting a lot of weights. I used to keep a training diary. And I remember reading the notes that, I used to take notes on every session. And for weeks, my right arm had been in agony, like in the elbow, when I was doing these heavy curls. And my notes were always, elbow still really painful. Keep lifting heavy until the pain stops. <laughs> Which, I mean... When you look back at it now, could you see what you did there? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't sound advice to myself. <laughs> and it's just, I, I, had these huge, I had these big arms on me. You know, the boys just took a piss on my arm. But I mean, we, yeah, I remember just giving this this stocky scrum off a swinging arm tackle, and he ducked his head into it, and it hit me right in the bottom of the bicep, and my bicep just sprang off the bone. 
and ended up under my under my shoulder, just bunched up. I was in agony with it. But going home and fooling myself, like you say, with the frozen peas, that's what I did. <laughs> Came on, put a big frozen bag of peas on my on my elbow. But there was no there was no muscle. There it was just this flat area <laughs> with like this big this big like cricket ball under my under my deltoid. And then the Monday I went back to school to teach, and my whole arm from the elbow down was just this black balloon. <laughs> and my mate Andy I told me said I think you better get that sorted up <laughs> so I went to hospital for that and they said oh you, it's complete detachment and it was all it's, all it's off the bone and uh, I, saw, I saw myself they wanted me to do the operation but it was going to be sort of 12 weeks again this is one about you're never as old as you think you are at the time I remember them saying to me well it's going to be three months in a, in a cast and then three months of rehab I thought that's six months you know, mm-hmm. but I was 32 then. I remember thinking to myself, "What well, is pointless now? I've had, I've had a decent innings with rugby. I'll, I'll just knock it on the head." You know, and I stopped playing. And in hindsight, I'm not a big one for regrets, but I should have got that sorted at 32 because my head was just starting to get around the fact that if I was nice to referees, I could step <laughs> and get away with more. You know, if I was nice to coaches, they'd actually pick me and give me contracts and stuff. So as my head was getting sorted, my, my body started to fall apart, which is. I suppose that's life, isn't it? So, um, so you retired then, did you? When the when the arm went, was that when you finished? Yeah, I retired. I retired about sort of thirty. I must have been thirty-two, thirty-three. Uh, and then I, yeah, started seeing Kelly. So Kelly never really saw me play. But she saw me play. Um, we we had a reunion game for my old school at Bath, and I went along to it. But by this point, I was still doing the social side of rugby without any of the training I used to do. So I was about nineteen stone by this point, right? So we played. They asked me to go play this old. Like staff against pupils, like game. a white bastard. <laughs> Me, worse. <laughs> so I got the bath, and we had. I remember we had the, like the the year, like the six form jerseys with ears, right? So these these yellow acrylic long sleeve shirts, like just about got the shirt on. And I hadn't played for sort of five or six years, you know. And Kelly had took some photographs on her, on her phone of the game. She said, oh, I want to see you. I've never seen you play rugby. I said, well, this is not really me at my peak, to be honest. But, you know, <laughs> I'm come getting, along. I'm getting this in early, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. <laughs> 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 and she took photographs of the game. And I remember, I, I was just describing this to people. Whenever you look yourself in the mirror, if you're overweight, you tend to suck your belly in without knowing it. You know, so I'm always looking at myself, picking my chin up, sucking my belly in, you know. Oh, you're always... Goodness. So the kidding yourself, really. But when you're just knacking in a game of rugby, that's out the window, you know, obviously. So I look at these photographs. I said, who's that fat prick? She said, where? I said, look at him. He looks like he's going to walk under his shirt. They're just <laughs> looks like this bright yellow cement mixer for a belly, right? And she said, that's you. I said, don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> How she, dare you? She said, look at the socks. And the only one wearing purple socks was me, right? I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I looked like a toffee apple. It was ridiculous. I'm fat right now. I went so, to, I went on holiday to Ireland with the kids about five years ago and on my lad's phone as I was scrolling through his photos that he'd taken was a profile photo of me in quite a slim fitting jumper. And, it, and and you know what I did? I did that thing, I went to I went, Have you done something to that photo? Have you like squeezed it downwards or something? Like like he's like, Yeah, I thought he'd like done that thing like a magic mirror thing on it. I was like he said, No, he said, Is that and I've got quite a big nose as well, so it's like a double whammy of like a profile nose shot and the full derby. It was absolutely horrific. So yeah, I lost some weight the next eighteen months after that. Oh mate. Well I, yeah, I was I was I was big then. So then I, that put me off playing because I didn't want to look like yeah, 
like a toffee apple player. <laughs> and then I just started playing a bit of veterans then. We talked we talked before we did the recording about people like Ozzy Vi here and some boys who played some decent rugby. Um I started playing veterans rugby for Barry. Only Mickey Mouse stuff over to, over to France every year and played for games against the French boys and they came over here on tour, we played against them. And that's nice, you know, that's uh, I I've yet to be sent off in a in a in a veterans game. This time. <laughs> But the, 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 I, would, I, would, I told the idea of playing veterans. I don't fancy training. I fancy turning up and playing. But I worry because I've not played probably since the time when you stopped playing. I've not played since about 32, 33, apart from mm. the odd daft bit of touch every now and again. Yeah. And in my mind, I still think I can take contact like I did when I was 27. Yeah. But I always worry that you won't just, you don't really get injured. You just get kind of powdered at this age. If you, you do, it's weird. You, you soon get into it. Like, because the, the boys that I play with have all, at all at some point played good rugby, not just a bunch of complete hacks. So you know, so when the whistle goes, you are playing a version of rugby that that's recognisably rugby. But I mean, and and that's the contact's fine. Getting up takes a long time. You don't spring up. Hmm. Getting up takes a long time. I'm uh, I'm a crisis. The recovery league more than anything else. I mean. Yeah, I was out for a week. I mean, literally, I was about three or four times a week as a youngster. Then, and when you're playing in your twenties and, and your early thirties, you know, you're playing once a week, and you're like, Sunday's a bit sore. Then you're training again on Monday. I was out for a week. I, I, I could barely walk. It was, and it's that shit that didn't hurt when you were a kid. It didn't make you tired. I, you know, like you, I don't know if you have this now, but I, when my kids were smaller, you never got tired swimming when you were a kid, did you? And no. I took the kids swimming, and I thought, well, while I'm here, I'll do about six lengths, and I did. And then after, I couldn't get my fucking jumper on. <laughs> I had like, you know, when you put your hands above your head and they're shaking, you think, I'll get me fucking on through the sleeve of the jumper. <laughs> when you got to prop your elbow against the inside of the shower, do you want to And because I'd got into cycling, which didn't help either, because you end up with decent legs and arms like a fucking T-Rex, and you can't actually do anything. So it was just, I'd done that middle-aged, middle-class oh. cycling thing. Yeah, so so you finished then. Obviously, you were still we still work as a teacher when you retired. Then is that is that what you were still? Well, I was yeah, I was still teaching. I was still um, still teaching PE. So I, I taught for about another five or six years after that. So I, I, I mean, I say I retired. I'd have a, I'd have run around with the boys I was coaching, and you know, and I, I got on the field with them and throw the ball around and everything. But I mean, not doing any any proper rugby. And that's what I'm saying. Like I remember thinking thirty two was old for rugby, and now I'm thinking shit. You know, that was. That's young, really, especially mm. if you're, if you're. I, I played when I was in Bath. I, I moved down to the centre and played a lot in the centre, and I enjoyed playing the backs. It was easy. But, um, yeah, I, I realistically could have played probably another four or five years, you know, at least. But I, but, but I remember thinking, oh man, this is over rugby, and so I started doing. So then, what I, what I wanted to start doing comedy at so sort of 36, 37. I thought I was Can I just explore much. that for a minute there before you said you, you wanted yeah. to start doing comedy? Have you? I mean, you're obviously a funny bloke. Did we? What could you always make people laugh? You knew it was something you always wanted to do, or did you suddenly wake up at 36 and go, "I fancy being a comedian"? No, it was it was, it was tied in with the rugby again, really. I mean, I'd always been the person that was saying, like, you know, people must have hated you. They they might have hated me on the field, but I was always I think I was always good value off the field. So it was always me that was doing the little stories and singing, doing starting the singing off and doing that sort of stuff. And then I got into writing. Really, it, it was the writing that got me into stand-up. I went to go to do a, to do a. I was I was a bit pissed off with teaching. I think I wanted to change a career, and I maybe give some writing a go because I was always been a decent writer. And I went to a, a comedy writing workshop, hmm. 
and they got the they got the dates wrong, and it was a stand up comedy workshop. So I ended up I was going to leave, and then she said, "Well, you might as well stick around to the courses." And, you know, I said, oh, "Okay, I'll see what it's like." So I did this stand up course only for a few hours, but the girl doing it was really really bad. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking to myself, Christ, if you can make any money out of comedy, that I can make a living out of this because you are fucking awful. And uh, she was. I mean, but I. I and thank God, I mean, I don't think she was a, was a comedian. I think I think she was a drama teacher who'd been asked to do like a comedy course, a uh, comedy workshop. Nice girl, just not funny. And um, <laughs> it, but I said, if, she, if she'd have been brilliant, I would have thought, oh God, I can't do this. But she was crap, so it was good. So um, yeah, and then just from that, I ended up. But I was thinking, oh, I'm too. And then fair play to my wife. She was all oh, give give it a go, give the old stand up a go. And I thought, I'm 36, and that's too old. And I remember what I thought about with the rugby. I thought, well, hang on a minute. You don't, you don't want to be in 10 years' time wishing you'd started the comedy at 36. It's difficult when you just had small kids as well. Isn't yeah. It? Because, because it, the, 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 you know, the impact on the lifestyle and stuff. And it takes a lot of support from your family is what I'd say, I suppose. She was brilliant. She said to me, let's get the, get the mortgage sorted out because when you're self-employed, it's going to be a pain in the ass. Get the mortgage sorted out. Let's pay for the wedding. And then do what you want to do. So, you know, I did that. Got the mortgage sorted, got the wedding paid for, and resigned within, like, weeks. <laughs> did you get gigs quite quickly? Yeah, I was lucky. I I, I went to – I did Edinburgh straight away, which, which you know, again, you, you're told not to do that. So I told them to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> You've not been selected for Edinburgh. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. The fuck are you? So, um, yeah, I did an hour. Like in my first year of comedy, I did an hour in Edinburgh, which is, you know, worked out well in the end. It was, it was hard, and I, you know, it was it was a tough old month. But then when I came back, I did a charity night in the Glee Club in Cardiff, and one of the acts dropped out. I was supposed to do ten minutes as an open spot, and they said, you know, can you do forty minutes? I said, yeah, I've just done an hour for a month, you know. So I did a forty-minute gig. It was my first gig in the Glee. It was a forty-minute gig in the Glee Club, and then that went down well. And then I was shopping the next day with Kelly and. And a phone call saying, can you do Birmingham Glee Club next weekend? I said, yeah, okay. So I went from sort of not getting paid at all to doing weekends in, you know, one of the, the better sort of, if not the best sort of comedy club in the country, which is nice. So, yeah, I haven't, I haven't hit any punters yet, so it's all gone, you know. <laughs> um, you mentioned at the beginning you're an embryonic TV star. Is is that something that's coming through, is it? Something you can talk about? Yeah, there's... Um, I do a radio series called The Unexplainers, which is yeah. like a, which is like a sexy X X Files. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm like this sort of I'm the eye candy. It's on radio, of course. Um, yeah, so that's basically that's been commissioned for TV. So we've been recording that this week. That's going to go up on, the, on BBC Wales to start with, and hopefully, you know, maybe go to network in the autumn. So that started, and then I start uh, recording a new sitcom. Um, Tomorrow, I got, I've got to, I've got to meet the, get my wardrobe stuff done tomorrow. So there's going to be a new sitcom. That's out in the autumn. I'm going to be in that, you know, as long as I don't tell anyone where to go in the meantime. And then, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of other little bits and bobs in with with BBC at various stages. So yeah, there's there's like two things that are definitely happening, uh, and two things that are looking very promising. So that's 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 all good. Well, I think you're a signal lesson in many ways, Mike, about having a go- different go at different things at different times in your life because there's definitely different points where you've done that, isn't there? Yeah, with, that's with the different thing. effects, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I remember saying it, it sounds really cheesy, it sounds really twee, but at my at my uh, at my wedding, saying you know that, and this is before I was doing comedy really, um, because people always ask about the rugby, always about the rugby. Do you wish you'd done this? Do you wish you'd done this? Do you wish you hadn't done this? Do you wish you hadn't done that? And my point was, well, I, the, the day I got married was a great day, and I thought, well, if, if I if I'd done anything differently, mm. you know, if I hadn't punched someone, I hadn't been sent off, if I hadn't been a prick, if I hadn't been, you know. Um, on some bloody GBH charge, I've invited in all these these weird things in my life and various busted up business ventures. I wouldn't have ended up where I was that day. So you know yeah, you can't. True. Do you know what I mean if one one little thing differently it would have taken me in a completely different path? And I'm, I'm very happy where I am now. So my lads do GCSEs now, and I had to kind of tell him that basically I was always quite bright and I had shit GCSE results and shit A level results, mm. and ended up phoning around universities and ended up in the University of Teesside in Middlesbrough because I got such poor A-level results. And it was there that I met my wife and met six of the best friends and played rugby with guys I still see now well, that's what I mean, four but... times a year, you know. And it's difficult. You know, I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but there is something about you can't let it fucking worry you too much at the end of the day, you know. You just got to go with it, mate. I mean, Christ, there's, and, you know. That's what I said to people. I used to get in trouble when I was teaching because I would say to kids, if they were stressing about the GCSEs, I remember saying to kids and getting bollocked for this. <laughs> I said, don't worry about your GCSEs. Yeah. I said, what do you mean, sir? I said, oh, fuck it. I said, like, you know, I said, I, I didn't do great in my GCSEs. I didn't get any A-levels. I said, you know, you can always, you can always do them again. And my head teacher said... Fucking PE teachers, eh? <laughs> I've been telling kids that exams don't matter. And my, my point was, like, you know, it's a lot of pressure when you're 16, it's isn't not, it? I'm seeing it now. It's different to when we were there. Completely and utterly different to when we were yeah, there. Yeah, you're right. If, you, if you're a decent person, you know, you tell enough people to fuck off. It all in all... <laughs> At the end of the day, it goes through the bad and rebounds back to being good. <laughs> I remember I had a gig. The, the only one time when I thought it, it, it was like um, I had a gig up in the Welsh Valleys for a good friend of mine called Henry Whittacombe, who's Josh Whittacombe's brother. He's a good comic in his own right, Henry, but he doesn't gig anymore. He used to run these lovely gigs, and uh, there was a fellow called Trevor Locke, who's a, who's a mate, who's a comic, who I'd sort of recommended this gig to. So I compared it every month, and he came down and did it, and... and um, this one real bad twat in the crowd which just gave, made his life a misery for half an hour, right? And it wasn't that sort of gear. I'd never seen this dude before. So I, I apologised to, to uh, Trevor the, at the end of it. And I was, I was going, the guy, he starts heckling me now. They said, he's, he's, had a, he's had a skin fall. I said, mate, I'm not Trevor. I said, I said he re-embarrassed re me now. I said, that's a good friend of mine. He's come from London, I might say so. I said, and you've made an absolute prick yourself. Don't think I'm... A nice bloke like Trevor, I'll quite happily drag you into the car park and fuck you up, bro. It's like Lenny Bruce. Yeah, go on. <laughs> well, I came down after the gig and I was in the bar and this bloke girlfriend came over and he said, he said I'm sorry about that, mate. He's, he's a bit pissed. I said, sorry, I don't know who you are. So that was my boyfriend. I said, oh, well, your boyfriend's a dick. You know, why is he here? Oh, no, he's just pissed. I said, I've got to pub and be pissed. I said, there's people who come here every month who want to see comedy. And you're probably... I said, why are you apologising for your, for your boyfriend for? Time to grow a pair of balls and come over and apologise for himself, right? Oh, he doesn't want to come over. He's embarrassed. I said, he's an arsehole. So then he started shouting. <laughs> he shouted over to me, what's your problem, mate? And it was like it was like being back in Chepstow in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> I sprinted over there, right, before he could get out of his chair. I thought, and I stopped myself, and Henry was, was right behind me. And I just basically told this fellow in no, no uncertain terms to leave, right? But I was shaking, 
and Henry, Henry was white blooded. He's like Henry's a lovely, like vegetarian hippie comedy promoter, right? But nine stone dripping wet with a beard. And he said, "Oh my God, I thought you were going to kill him." I said, "Well, no, mate. I would never, I would never hit somebody at one of your gigs. And I'll, hit, I'll, hit, I'll hit him outside." But I what? And uh, yeah, you you can't. I mean, and that's been good for me. Comedy's been good for me for that because you you can't. If I found out that you you can't go around punching people <laughs> in venues, it's very much frowned upon. So. But like I said, with rugby, I think it was a release for me because I always knew, you know, I was you weren't going to get glassed, you, and you weren't going to get you weren't going to get someone sticking a knife in you, and it wasn't going to be anything stupid. You were going to have a bit of a ding dong, hmm. you know. And a lot of my best mates, and you might have found the same thing with rugby league and everything as well. A lot of my best mates from rugby were the blokes on the other team that I used to have the real sort of set twos with, you know. And I I I, I had no problem with that. I, I thought that was a nice. I missed that. That's and you. I got a little boy now, and I don't want him playing rugby where you know there's fights every every two seconds, like rugby used to be. But I mean, I do miss that. I miss that. Um, there is something about it being part of the the kind of social contract of rugby in some ways. Of course, people should be protected. Of course, it shouldn't be. I mean, it was ridiculous before. I mean, getting king punched out of nowhere. Is out of order. Yeah, do you know I, what I mean? It's not, and, cheap shots and, and, cheap shots. Cheap shots I, I, and, and, and just generally having an acceptable level of violence is just you, you can't have that. I don't think. And one, I don't think they can have that from a from a litigation point of view. Anyway, they have to do something. It's a different world. But, what is unquestionable is there were less dicks playing when I played. You know. Yeah. You, you couldn't get away with it. The Chris Ashtons of this world wouldn't have lasted two seconds. Someone would, you know, if someone on the other side hadn't sorted him out, then one of his own team would have had a word. Or he'd have had to get very good at defending himself. Because there were fair flair players, but who were also pretty hard as nails when it came down as well. Yeah. But but it's yeah, and I, but I do think there's something about an acceptable level of risk in the social contracts of rugby that you might get a bit of a slap. You know. Well, it's like the rucking. I read a very really good report last week about rucking. You know, and obviously. The sponsors and the TV people didn't want to see people that getting shooed on the bottom of a ruck. A that never really caused any damage, you know, because there were again there were sort of unwritten rules. You didn't go for sort of groins and faces and stuff, you know. But you know, no, and it happened to me. The, it happened to me, and you moved, you know, on was... the back of my legs and your ass and whatever. Yeah, get out of the way, you know. And I, I think it, it, the speed of the game up, you know, and you see boys now flying into rucks, taking people out behind a ruck. I mean, there's. I think there's much more injuries in rucks now. They've cleaned rucks up than they were in the old days. Yeah, but I think it looks more acceptable now. You know, you watch some of those rucking in the old days. You go, oh, Jesus Christ! You know, <laughs> watch it. I'm telling you, you played a little. That's, that's the way you played rugby back then. Was that right? The, the, the South African ref caught on camera once back in the nineties. I don't mind the rucking, but that was mountaineering. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, it's been a lovely, it's hey, been lovely talking to you. Um, and I hope everyone's enjoyed that out there. Um, and we'll speak to you all soon when we are back on. Cheers, take care, bye-bye. Yeah, take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.